These are the dialogues of a peculiar character. My name is Thomas Gideon. Join me in my journey planning and opening a craft brewery through conversations with the amazing and curious people helping me along the way and who already work in an industry I'm hoping to join. I look forward to sharing with you the fascinating stories about how and where beer is made and served, including one day soon when that will be my very own brewery. There are many voices and stories in the world of craft beer. I enjoy bringing unusual ones to you. One that I don't know that we give quite as much credence to is that of the drinker, the regular, the champion who may not necessarily work within the industry, but is so critical in so many ways to the success of people working there. I'm delighted to be able to also have the opportunity to bring on a good friend of mine to talk about his views from that perspective of the craft beer enthusiast and drinker, and also how that may lead to some novel projects and outcomes that may exceed what would seem like a very humble part and participation in craft beer as a whole. For the first time in this project, I'm happy to be joined in studio to learn more from my guest about his experience as a craft beer drinker and advocate. Welcome. Can you, to start with, please say your name and briefly tell us about your role within Maryland Craft Beer. My name is Kendrick Doolin, and I run the website MD Craft Beer. What is it specifically about beer that called you to chase it? I would say probably the diversity within the beverage, the various flavors and aromas and the, the history behind it especially is what grabbed me. How even though the process uh, may be a little bit different from place to place, the, the beverage itself unites people across countries and cultures. What is it about the history in particular when you say that what's in your mind when you say it's the history of beer is one of the things that draws you to it? I think of all the people in the past, the monks, especially in the Middle Ages, and uh, uh, that produced this beverage, that um, the fact that people over different periods of history have consumed this beverage, that it's changed a bit over time, but that by and large, it's still the same process, it's still the same ingredients that go into it. Um, and yes, flavor may be a bit different now. We may not uh, have hopless beers so much anymore. There may be still be some secrets in beer that we haven't yet discovered on, uh, but by and large, it unites us to our past. It's a bridge. If you've read enough history too, I think that that's true. And the, the innovation and the change, the fact that Gruitz perhaps are, I know they're still made. You hear of them from time to time. They're not particularly popular. But even, I think, looking at some of the history, realizing that uh, innovation has also been part of that history in the past, that, that new things come into being, new things are done and tried, uh, styles emerge. They didn't all start at the same time thousands of years ago, fully formed as we have them today. I think that's fascinating too, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Or even the, the development of new yeasts, when, when lager came around, that, that wasn't a thing until 
not that long ago, all things considered, or as you were saying, um, the the spontaneous invention of new techniques. I love, for example, the legend of of the ice block, how that was accidentally invented by a monk leaving a barrel outside, all of a sudden, you know, dared to drink it because it was his fault. Uh, he he tries it and. Lo and behold, it was good. Icebach being similar to an ice wine, uh, fractional distilling. So uh, pulling some of the water out, concentrating the alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. When you're thinking about visiting a brewery or a tap room, what draws you there in the first place? What kinds of things are you attracted to in that setting specifically? I think that when I go to a new tap room, I enjoy seeing what kind of variety they have on tap. Uh, I like to see a diversity of styles. Uh, if I see 10 taps, ten, eight of which are IPAs, then uh, I'll try them, but uh, I'm less interested than I otherwise would be. I like to see some variety on the tap list. Um, and I also like to hear their story. I think that a lot of places have great story, and I love it when the, the tap room and the beers bring out the character of the brewery. Do you have a good example of that in mind, that the space and the beer interacting in some way to, to bring forth a bit more in the experience? I think of Brookville Beer Farm, actually. I think that the fact that they identify strongly as a farm brewery and given their location, uh, it speaks very strongly to that that farmer aspect uh, and the ingredients that they use in their beer, the styles that they brew, they don't do anything crazy or off the wall just really well solid down to earth and it, it fits very well with their tap room which is gorgeous um and the the staff are all very friendly and pizza's great too <laughs> the pizza is indeed great the approach to ingredient there in particular i know from having had uh kenny and phil on in the past that um not only do they use uh as much local ingredients and i think they just conducted their hop harvest for the hops that they grow there on the farm in working with other uh, farms and agriculture in the area in the state, they take an approach that's more fresh, it's hand-processed, it's locally sourced versus, uh, say, a puree. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You think that that's part of it, that that carries through, like, that attention to the agricultural ingredient, the input going in there is part of what you were speaking to? I think so, yeah. It, it goes into that the whole, for the trite phrase, drink local, um, when, when I know that the malt came from Chesapeake Malt House, and I know that the hops came from the, the farm there itself, and maybe even the yeast they pulled off somewhere inside of the farm, uh, just, it, it really makes everything hyper-local and, and makes me more interested to, to try the beverage and see what Maryland has to offer. What about since uh, you've been to many tap rooms at many times, and there are only so many in the state, there, there are more coming, of course, including mine. But for the time being, when you go back, when you're thinking about going back to a brewery, are you thinking about a lot of the same kinds of things that experience the first time that you're going? Or is there something else in sort of your thought process about which ones that you might want to go back to, which ones you might want to frequent again? I'll go to any brewery once, but what makes me come back another time uh, is the, the people behind the counter. If I have a positive experience in the tap room with the wait staff, especially if I get a little bit of conversation, even though I know that they may be busy and I might not have uh, a real chance to have a conversation with them. I, I fully appreciate that. And also a clear dedication uh, to the craft and an appreciation of it. Uh, just to give a, a, a example, when I go to a brewery that 
I have a passion for European style beers, um, primarily Germans, but I'll also drink English. But uh, I see a lot of times, for example, the Hefeweizen or the Pilsner, they're brewed as more of an afterthought. I need this style on tap to fill a slot in my drinker's palate, but I don't either appreciate this beverage or care much about it. I'm more focused on making a hoppier IPA, making a heavier imperial stout, and this this beer doesn't get a whole lot of love. But when I have that style, that 4.5% lager with flavor, with aroma, with character, that to me is a true indication of somebody who knows their craft because those beverages are very, those styles are a lot harder to brew well. And uh, so I appreciate them when they're well executed. Is it only the sort of technical craft, the technique in in those styles? And I appreciate those too. Uh, Very often the more traditional historic styles, lower gravity styles do, they're more demanding in their production. Is it that alone? Is it only the appreciation for the skill that went into it? Or are there particular flavors when you say the European beers, the German in particular, also the British, are there flavors that you're getting in that that maybe you're not getting in other styles that you're drawn to as well? I would say yes to an extent, sure. Uh, I Last night I had a Pilsner in a tap room in D.C. Uh, at, at a bar in D.C., I should say. Uh, and um, it was a it brewed with Czech saws. And that uh, it classically described described as spicy, although not in a heat sense uh, flavor profile. I don't find that in many beers, never in an IPA, uh, and not often in uh, beers even of that style brewed here. It's that um, classic noble hop character. It's that that sort of refined. You say spice. Sometimes I get floral off of it too. It's, Absolutely. It's, yep. Uh, can be perfumey or even tea-like when you get into like East Kent Goldings, one of my favorite hops, <laughs> uh, my proclivity for, for British beer. That's interesting. Have you encountered any styles where, or, or any beers, I should say, that maybe aren't to those styles where in a sort of American innovative fashion, they're taking some of those flavor notes that you're drawn to and surprising you, putting them in a beer that maybe isn't where you expect to pick up on something like that? I wouldn't say I necessarily have had many of them uh, appear in places that were not expected, but I've but having um, modern American takes on the classic styles, where for example you'd use a New Zealand hop in a Kolsch or uh, take it in a different direction, you still work with the same base, but uh, just by changing the hop profile, you've altered the aroma characteristics and somewhat the flavor profile as well. So flipping the script, keeping something comparable like the malt bill, the fermentation character, uh, as you say, putting a different hop in, or even using a traditional hop, but maybe a non-traditional yeast like uh, Kvike, the, the the new it yeast that everybody's playing around with this warm fermenting sort of winter yeast <laughs> that's right. out there. Yeah. But uh, it can be, it can run too far. And I've had, you know, I've had an, a 9% Imperial Pilsner that was quite clearly brewed warm uh, and so, in my opinion, there's there's nothing really left of the traditional style. And at this point, you're really grasping at straws trying to define it. And I wish they'd just come up with another name for it. Do you ever find that you have the opportunity when faced with a beer that maybe doesn't quite meet your expectation in a good way or a bad way uh, to, you know, you talked about that experience of, of the staff. Do you find yourself having the opportunity to, like, talk to 
uh, the bartenders at least, if not maybe some of the brewers about what it is that you're getting, maybe get a bit more of the story that either maybe it doesn't entirely change your mind, but maybe gives you a, a slightly different perspective than drinking it naive without that story. Yeah, I've had that a couple times uh, where sometimes I've gone to the brewer or the, the taproom manager and um, said that maybe the beer wasn't quite what I expected it to be. And then yeah, they would tell me why either why they brewed it or um, we use this particular ingredient for X reason. And uh, that to me, okay, yeah, maybe, uh, I can sometimes buy that. It's okay. That's, that's acceptable. I know from following you on social media and being your friend that you you sample widely. So while you're drawn to certain things, and I think you you talk about the things you're drawn to quite well, are there things that utterly defied your expectations that still delighted you? Something that you, like one of those eight IPAs on tap, that had something to it, maybe it wasn't uh, akin to the traditional style elements or flavor elements that we were talking about, but something else that just astonished you and you're like, yeah, this is, it's its own thing and it's fantastic. Probably the the first time I don't go out of the state frequently. That's a, a shortcoming of my own that I'm hoping to rectify one of these days. But uh, I did take a road trip several years back. Uh, one of the stops along the way was at Treehouse up in Massachusetts, and uh, that was the first time that I'd had a true New England IPA. It had just hit Maryland, and people were experimenting with it, but it hadn't really they hadn't really cracked the code yet and uh fully understood but treehouse was already putting out top of the line uh versions of this style and i remember having it and just being utterly blown away because i had never really had a whole lot of beers that had that that um that appearance that unfiltered hazy look to it that didn't make me think that it was orange juice yeah i'd say that was uh that was certainly an, an occasion where you know it was it was julius uh that uh I said, wow, this is this is something different. I've not had this before, and I like it. That's a classic for a reason. That's a, that's entirely understandable. You, you say that, but also knowing that you're a, a fan and adherent of German tradition, did you look at that and think, like, banana, ester, and you lean in and think Hefeweizen? Or did you know enough about the brand ahead of time? Was there some small part of your brain that was like, kind of want this to be a Hefeweizen because it's like the closest thing up to that point that maybe had that similar appearance in the glass? That may have played a role. Uh, I think that having seen IPA already on the can, I, I was already somewhat tipped off to uh, expect something different, but not really knowing what to expect. What What is a hazy IPA I, or a New England IPA? I don't know. I want to back up a little bit uh, since you mentioned uh, kind of where you're at now in terms of focusing more on enjoying craft beer here in Maryland and having less occasion to get out more broadly. Uh, I know that that hasn't always been true. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit to the flavor elements and traditions that you're drawn to. Can you talk a bit about like your first experiences with German brewing? Like where does that come from? Where, where did you experience that? What was it that you found um, so enticing about that? So the very first beer I ever had was uh, I was 18 years old sitting on the porch of my uh, my host father's uh, house in um, in uh, southern Germany. And he asked me if I wanted a beer. And being the rebel that I am, I, I said yes and had my first beer. And it was, I can't remember the name, although I can see the, the picture of it still in my mind. 
Um, it was, I believe, a Helles and um, uh, right out of the bottle, local brewery. And I remember getting through the first third of it or so and enjoying it and then utterly having it turn my stomach for the second two thirds, <laughs> but, but stomaching it nonetheless and, and toughing it out because this is a beer and I'm going to drink it. But uh, when I moved back to Germany several years later, that's when I really fell in love with beer. Uh, I lived in Berlin and uh, we had, we always had, you would walk into a brewery or, or a, um, a restaurant. It asked you what you want to drink and you'd order by style over there, not by brand. It's not typically listed because you drink local. And so you'd ask for the Hefeweizen, you'd ask for the Lager, the Pilsner, whatever it may be, and they'd ask you big or small, and then there you go. And the simple, almost, I, I hesitate to use the term simple uh, to describe the, the flavors and aromas of German beer, but it is far more basic than the tropical fruit that you get these days or the craziness from barrel aging and wild yeast fermentation it doesn't show up in German brewing. Um, but just those, those classic uh, bready notes or roasty malts or uh, the, the clean, crisp Pilsner flavor and the way that that goes with good hearty food, that's what really got me into beer and saying, hey, this is actually a very enjoyable substance. I, I I enjoy the flavor, I enjoy the aroma, and I and I especially enjoy the atmosphere around it. So I have to imagine with uh, an emerging trend toward back towards pilsners to um, breweries that maybe started or built a lot of their business on IPAs, starting to uh, listen to their brewers and they say, "Can we please make a nice lager? Can we make a crisp, delicious, accessible lager?" How do you feel about that trend? The, the fact that like, um, sure, as we said earlier on, you can walk into any given tap room and there's eight IPAs. And yet in the local scene here in Maryland, definitely in DC, there are breweries that are starting to slip those Pilsners and those lagers into the mix and adding those flavors back in. I feel torn. Uh, on the one hand, I, I personally love it. Uh, whenever I walk into a tap room and I see the Lago or the Pilsner on the board, that's my first order because my palate's still fresh and I want to see how well you can do it. Um, but I also know, at least in the state of Maryland, that it's a bit of an uphill battle making a popular beer that's under 6%. I've, I've witnessed it many times in the tap room, walking in, sitting at the bar and listening to the people ordering around me, and they're going based off of ABV. And so that nice headless you've got going on is never going to get ordered because it's only 4.5%. I can believe that. However, do you believe there's an opportunity? You know, we were talking about sort of your experience with staff and that uh, value that you get from conversation that you look for going in. Do you think that if staff know that and they know that that maybe is the expectation, they might be able to receive that and say, well, okay, let's set aside ABV for the moment. Beyond that, what do you want? Do you think there's a, a, an opportunity to, to, to make that connection with other flavors that they might be interested in to like get a little bit past sort of the uh, effectiveness per dollar spent <laughs> with that ABV proxy? Sure. I think that uh, something similar was accomplished when sour beers took over a year or two ago. Now, granted, you have some imperial sours these days that come in at more like 8 or 9%, but you still have a very good number that are in, more in the 5% range 
uh, and they successfully overcame that. Now, granted, I would also say it was with extreme flavor. Uh, whereas if if I have a lager with extreme flavor, then I I doubt the brewer. Um, but uh, um, you know, I think that there is definitely a case to be made for them, and I think that uh, good advocates in the taproom staff can help to overcome prejudices among the drinkers. Let's switch away from tap rooms and sort of going out to find beer in the places that it's made. Cause I know that you also from time to time enjoy packaged beer. Do you have a, a, a different thought process or is it much the same in terms of sort of the experience and flavors that you're looking for when you buy uh, a four pack of tall boys or six pack of cans or, you know, the occasional bottle here or there. I'd almost say that it's dependent on the packaging, as odd as it sounds. Uh, I think that the scene has steered us such that when I see a six-pack of 12-ounce cans, I'm expecting uh, 7% or less beer. If I see a four-pack, then I'm expecting higher ABV or more extreme flavor of some kind. And if I see a um, a bomber, those rare times that I still see one, uh, then um, it better be worth the cost. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Something, something truly occasional or special, uh, a brewer special release or a, an, an annual recipe that, like, uh, well, it's not craft per se, but Bourbon County. Sure. Yeah. What about in terms of I? I don't know if you struggle like I do with stocking a beer fridge. Uh, you don't homebrew as I do, so you don't have that pressure. I know, again, from being your friend and seeing you on social media that you you get out and you do enjoy beer uh, out in the places where it's made. Do you rebuy packaged beer? How often do you rebuy it? Like, similar question to the when you revisit a tap room. Um, if you're at a bottle shop, if you're at a retailer and looking at what's on offer, what differentiates in your mind between, like, the new that you haven't tried versus the, ooh, I really like that one and maybe I want to come back to it. Yeah, I don't rebuy very frequently. I I, I must confess to being uh, somewhat a slave to the, the badge chasing on untapped, uh, although I don't use the app as much anymore. I've fallen away from that a bit. Um, so I still, I do hunt the new, but I do on occasion revisit the old Usually it's because uh, I see it on the shelf and I have a memory association with some event. Or uh, sometimes as well, I just remember how, how wonderful the beer tastes. I recently actually had a, uh, a vertical of um, Rochefort with some friends. I had this, I bought a bottle of 6, 8, and 10, and uh, we, we went and tried them all side by side. And it was because I'd seen the Rochefort on the shelf when we went to pick up some beer for the night. And I said, okay, and now I know exactly what we're doing tonight because this is really good beer and you've never had it before. You need to experience this. And that's a good choice for a vertical. That's a beer that definitely is designed to be aged, to uh, evolve in its complexity and its flavor profile over time. That uh, no slight on Treehouse and the, the Julius you mentioned earlier, that's a very different beer in comparison. So that totally makes sense in terms of, uh, I love a good vertical too. And it sometimes seems a little harder to pull off these days, unless you go into the, the imports and you find some of those beers that are specifically designed for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, they are, 
not many American beers are made to age. You can still find uh, some heavier stouts that might do well, but I find uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan actually of the Belgian Abbey styles, and there's a, a, a lack of those in Maryland. Steinhardt is the one that really stands out in my mind as making really solid Abbey styles here in this area. But apart from that, nothing really occurs to me as people who regularly make. Oh, I guess Jailbreak makes uh, Van Dammit on a fairly regular occasion as well as a quad or a dark strong. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an underappreciated style. I find, I think some people find it too, sh- too sugary, too sweet, but um, especially aged, the, the flavors that come out are just wonderful. I, I would agree with that. And it is one of the risks with a higher alcohol beer is that uh, at that level, the amount of alcohol can come across as sweetness as well. So any kind of residual sweetness that you have, and then definitely as uh, any of the counterbalancing flavors often fall out during aging, it can, uh, I've had a uh, Duchess that was almost undrinkable. <laughs> it had been held on to just a little bit too long in terms of, uh, I, I wanted to like that particular one uh, a lot more. And I'd had um, other examples in the past that were a bit more drinkable. Now you come from a part of Maryland I don't often get to, so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about sort of, you know, you said drink local earlier, sort of what you're experiencing around where you live, what what's on offer, what's the beer scene like in Anne Arundel? So Anne Arundel has had a little to non-existent beer scene until, local beer scene, until quite recently. Uh, so we had Chesapeake Brewing Company, have Chesapeake Brewing Company, I should say, uh, on West Street in downtown Annapolis. But until last year, that was it. I had to go to Howard County, Montgomery County, or Baltimore uh, to get anything else. And um, then we've had Chesapeake, as well as Crooked Crab, open. And uh, um, Crooked Crab is a pretty RER-like brewery um, that has in part to do with their staffing, but also just that they their, their brewer came from RER. Um, but uh, the, the New Englands, the Sours, um, they do them very well, um, very approachable, but they're uh, clearly... I don't want to say on the hype train, that sounds negative, but uh, they're, they're following what's popular in beer. Um, Chesapeake does that to an extent, but also has a bit more of a focus on traditional styles. They have um, six or eight uh, casks uh, that they pull from on the bar when when they're fully stocked. But that's as far as actual breweries in the county. That's all we have at the moment. Uh, Firm Brewing, P-H-E-R-M, just announced themselves recently. They're looking to be in Annapolis as well. So I'm happy to have some more going on in the county. I love Annapolis. Uh, I ne- I get up there much less often than I'd like. And then recently, as I've been getting more into working with the industry and now hoping to join the industry, it's not always on the best occasion. There are good days and there are bad days. It's a good segue. I think the first time I met you actually was at a legislative session a couple of years ago. This is one for listeners who follow Beer News in Maryland in particular saw the Good Beer Hunting article from a while back about the the travails of what we've had to go through to try to reform our antiquated alcohol laws. You might have some sense of where Kendrick's and my mood were at the end of this very contentious session. Um, what brought you to that as someone who, uh, more than anything else, I think, 
is uh, kind of the er craft beer drinker. Uh, there's more that you do, and we'll get to that. But in that moment, like I was there as a podcaster. I was there as I didn't know it at the time, a brewery and planning. Uh, I had been grappling with it, but hadn't made the decision yet. What brought you to that uh, very sort of inside baseball moment in Maryland beer history? So I remember that day. I actually was actually just about to mention that that was our first meeting, but um, I, I do remember it. I was not much one for politics. That was the first time I ever participated in anything political. But uh, it was reading uh, Liz Murphy's blog. Uh, I have to mention my good friend Napton Pine. Liz is great. That was someone had someone had reposted one of her blog posts. That was my first exposure to her blog, and I realized what was going on. And I, I said, I have to do something about this. So I, I jumped on that bandwagon and shared everything that I could share and talked to everyone I could talk to and uh, said, I'm going to I'm going to show up that day. I, I took a half day at work so that I could get downtown and the rest was history. And thankfully, that was only one chapter in history. Yes, indeed. Uh, last year's legislative session. <laughs> thankfully, I think. uh I think we kind of learned our lesson as as brewers, as a brewing industry, uh, came to the table with a little bit more humility, perhaps a bit more savvy, and uh, got some more concessions, and hopefully earnestly starting a new chapter in craft beer in Maryland. That's not the only thing that I've seen you involved with. I've seen you at other guild events. What is your relationship with the guild? Like, how do you get into helping out, again, as someone who's maybe more of an enthusiast, uh, showing up at, at events, uh, participating in some way beyond just a ticket holder. I remember about three years ago, it may have been four now. Uh, I think it was four. the Frederick beer festival, the, um, Maryland Brewers Association had posted that they needed volunteers to help out. And so I said, gosh, darn it. I got nothing going on today. It's a Saturday. I'm going to make that hour, 15 minute drive out to Frederick and get a little bit of free beer in there and they they stuck me in the ice truck they forgot that i was there and uh, so I, I worked through about two-thirds of the festival got the last hour and a half or so to to, to play around with the, with the beer but it really helped me to get to know the people there um kevin is, is great and Jana and everybody else um I was able to latch on to that. And so they kept inviting me to help out with more events. And I said, well, hey, I mean, I, if I if I help with setup, then I'm usually done by around about the time the festival starts and then I get to drink for free. So uh, plug for that. Yeah, if you ever want to volunteer for a festival, that's the way to do it. After doing that for about a year and a half, very consistently, it helped me to just get to know them better. Uh, we recognized one another's passion for the industry and so they started to seek my advice on some things and they started to invite me out to events and so that that's what helped me to plug into the industry a bit more what kinds of things when you talk about advice do you find yourself getting into if you don't mind sharing uh in terms of you know i th it's a crack team growing fortify is doing a hell of a job re representing craft alcohol not to say that you don't bring something to the table I'm immensely curious though, <laughs> like what, what, what are those conversations like thematically, if not specifically where they're talking to you and seeking your input? So the recently they did approach me about, um, ideas on beer events. And, uh, that's, that's all I can really say at the moment. Nothing's really moving at the moment, but that I, I, just to be, just to be safe on my own end, I shouldn't say more than that, but yes, it was event planning. They wanted to try to branch out beyond the idea of let's how many breweries can we cram under uh, a, a 
you know, into a building or, or into a park and try to attract people that way. Let's, let's see if there's some other ideas that we can have either based on location or theme to attract people out. Well, and we attended uh, together and hung out with many, many friends here in my home county and also throughout the rest of the state, an event that I think would fit that bill of not being about cramming the most breweries. It has a, a close relationship to uh, the Maryland Craft Beer Competition, formerly Comptroller's Cup. That's Revive. So I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm not, I'm not fishing for specifics, but is that the kind of thing that you're inspired by when they're talking about like, how do we go beyond how do we kind of diversify and come up with other ideas that might attract different people into the beer scene or give them a different experience. Is that the kind of thing that you go to is uh, revive here in Maryland, or I can't help but think finally having gotten to revive, I missed it last year. Um, how that also relates to Sabre, which is a very atypical sort of event when you stack it up, especially against like Snallygaster down in DC or, uh, the BA's other big event, the Great American Beer Festival out in Colorado. Revive was certainly inspirational. That was certainly not my idea. I had nothing at all to do with that. Uh, but the idea of a an atypical beer festival, absolutely. I thought that Revive is a, a wonderful example of that, that beer goes beyond how many samplers can I down in a four-hour period, uh, but how can I pair beer with food as we do at Revive? That I find to be fascinating. I feel it's... It used to be more done. Uh, that was, I think, when I was just getting into craft beer and before is when beer pairings, beer dinners really were at their peak. So I, I kind of missed that train, unfortunately. But I, I'm hoping that it's coming back around again, having been to Revive twice now and just enjoying every moment of it. Well, I think one of the limitations, having gone to a fair number of beer dinners, and I'll agree with you that they don't seem as prevalent, as common as they once were, is that um, the ones that I used to go to were at a particular brewery, so the selection of beer might have been limited. Granted, most uh, small American craft breweries, uh, when they're doing well, offer good variety, enough for a chef to play around with. Revive, uh, Savor, it's a bigger sibling at the national level. Um, go beyond that because it's not only a single brand. Revive does it by, unlike Savor, Savor has a lottery for the 60 or so breweries they bring in. Revive does it by bringing the gold medal winners back. So they build in a certain variety there. Like you're guaranteed to get a good spread based on the categories, you know, one gold per each category year after year. That's got to set it up a little bit differently too in terms of like what someone might think of when they think of a traditional beer dinner. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I think that, that helps to take some of the pressure off individual breweries as well if, if they're only bringing one beer then they no longer have to bring three or five to the table to try to pair. And uh, also, in, in contrast, it's not just one chef, but rather it's one chef or one restaurant, rather, per brewery. So it also takes the pressure off the chefs. I only, they only have to work now with one facility to try to create a, a recipe. I think, too, what struck me going to Revive a couple of weeks ago was the fact that those chefs seem to have been chosen very intentionally that there was some locality to them. They were within uh, a certain range of, of the brewery, as well as bringing like total A game in terms of flavor to pair up and be very super creative about the food flavor, the beer flavor, the, the flavor hook as Garrett Oliver will talk about it. Um, do you have any insight into that? Like 
I don't know. I don't, I'm not as familiar with all the breweries. I know like probably our experience overlaps, but also diverges a little bit. Did you find that to be true too with some of the food pairings? Like you found an, an interesting sort of, there was some sort of through line between a given beer and the dish and the chef behind it. Yeah. I think that locality certainly played a role. I noticed that, uh, place like Rose House Pub was paired with a local Frederick brewery. Whenever I see that, I I, I just smile. I, I think that it's great to have neighbors work together. Um, it doesn't make sense for, for them to be paired with somebody from the Eastern Shore. No, that was a good example. And uh, totally in keeping with what I was thinking of with the ones that I know a little bit better, like the fact that it was Baronessa and True Respite. They're literally on the same street. You can get free really? delivery from Baronessa to True Respite uh, and also didn't Saints know that. Row. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brew Belly is only is right next door to Laytonsville to Brookville. Uh, so I often stop in at Brew Belly either on the way, way out to Brookville where Doc and Elder Pine on the way back. That hadn't even occurred to me, but that's another great example of Rose House Pub and any of the Frederick breweries would make total sense since they do such a good job of showcasing the local scene in that city in that county. And I think that maybe it also could be the case that the the chefs at those restaurants are more familiar with the brewers and the styles of a particular brewery, so it helps to create that synergy a bit better. Yeah, it's almost like the Brewers Association of Maryland knows what they're doing. No, it's totally like they know what they're doing. Absolutely. I think it, maybe that's uh, one of the benefits versus a, a, a saver or larger event, the fact that they have a much closer focus. Uh, on the event, on the participants in the event, that they can bring those kinds of connections together. You're also very active on social media, so I wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit too in terms of we've talked about beer flavors, we've talked about spaces and experience and places that you're drawn to. When you're putting stories or images out, is it the sharing of everything that we've been talking to or is there something else in your mind like, are, are you being selective about things that you're championing that you think other people might be drawn to? Is there some other sort of intent that you have when you sit down or is it all of a piece for you? So my content is almost exclusively Maryland breweries. I'll occasionally branch out when I get something from um, another state or if I go out outside, then I'll take pictures there. But primarily my content is focused on what is made here in Maryland because I think that we make some really good beer. And I think that... Even though people may know the names, you know, the RARs, the Burley Oaks um, of Maryland, they may not know some of our smaller breweries like Elder Pine or True Respite. And I think that there are some great stories there to be told. And I think there's some great beer to be drunk. So my focus is primarily in getting those messages out there. I enjoy this beer and I want other people to as well. We mentioned Untapped. Uh, I think that was one of the things in one of our early conversations that we acknowledge that we have in common, like a certain experience with it. I'm in the same place in terms of I'm not quite as fastidious as I once was. I don't rate the beers anymore. I use it more to kind of keep track of what I've had. You go above and beyond that, though. You've done other work. You don't merely use someone else's app. You maintain a listing, a map, and a database of Maryland craft beer, right? Yeah, so on my website, mdcraftbeer.net, I have a directories page where I have every brewery in the state of Maryland listed, as well as a bunch of the amenities that are related to that particular brewery. It's, it's Yelp for breweries, basically. I want to go to a brewery in Frederick County where I can also bring my dog 
uh, that has bottles and cans to go. You tap those things and it brings your listing down to just what matches that. How did that come about? <laughs> How are you motivated to create a resource? It's wonderful and I'm glad it's out there. Um, and you could just have a very full and enjoyable time going out and experiencing them, but to take that information, to seek that information out, to compile it thoughtfully in that way. How did that happen? So we run back in time a little bit. So in 2012, I moved back home to Maryland where I'm from. I had been living for two years in the San Diego area and uh, in actually about 10 minutes from Stone Brewery in Escondido. Um, I'd had a number of good beers out there, as one can imagine, especially I was there from 2010 to 2012 and Stone was in its heyday. Uh, Lost Abbey is was and is still rocking. Um, Mother Earth just opened. Uh, Ballast Point's tap room was tiny. You could fit about 15, 20 people in there. Um, it, it was a different day and age. And that's what got me into craft beer. So I came back home and I said, so where's my stone? Where's my Lost Abbey? I don't know any of the names out here. So I created a Google map. Google lets you uh, put little dots down on a map. And I said, well, okay, this way I can at least keep track of things. Um, and so I started sharing it with friends and then more friends and more friends. And after it had been shared a little over a hundred times, I said, okay, this, this needs to have a website now. And so it took a couple of years because I do not do the tech side of things. I love data, but I do not do HTML. I don't make websites. And so I said, this, this needs to be made. So finally I got with a dev, put some money down and, and we, we put a site together and it is what it is now. That's fantastic. Do you have, uh, any interesting plans you're willing to share in terms of, uh, is there anything in the near future or farther out in your mind that you'd like to see this grow into, or is it uh, enough for you to have sort of that more consolidated view rather than uh, a Google map with push bins on it? For the time being, this is, this is kind of where I'm stopping for a little bit. Uh, I need to take a little bit of a breather as uh, life has caught up to me recently, but uh after in the new year maybe i'm hoping to move things forward a little bit i'd like to um build out in in collaboration with some other um beer enthusiasts in the state and see what we can put together i i've have a, a rudimentary events page where i track can releases and bottle releases and taproom openings but uh there there is a lot more to be done in that regard as well and i'd also just like to help promote the new breweries that are coming out there. Trying to find them is one of the most difficult things. When when a new brewery has not announced themselves very well, and uh, it can be really difficult to find social media pages or websites. And so I've heard rumors sometimes of a brewery opening somewhere, but then I can't find any more information on it. And uh, it can be difficult to promote them when they don't give me anything to promote. That feels like something that perhaps... Uh... Knowing Jenna Howley, and I know she works with a lot of breweries and planning in the state, knowing Kevin, might have some good relationships there. I don't know if you've thought of that. I don't know if you've already done that to reach out the, to them to take those rumors and say, do you know a little bit more? Um, not in the sense to out somebody who maybe is deep in a planning mode, but to maybe foster a connection so when they're ready, they understand that there's this resource that they could tap into in addition to everything else that they're doing for marketing to make sure that there's good representation improves their findability if people are already going to your site looking for everything else in the state when new breweries come online they're very naturally available there too yeah bam has been good about that and and we have been in talks uh, once once i get my my website sorted a bit better about um uh, 
joining our sites, not not in the sense that one would be subsumed into the other, but in having uh, more of my information available on their on their page, since my listings are a bit more exhaustive in detail than theirs are. And before people worry, the things that have kind of overtaken Kendrick in his life are all to the good. Um, uh, engaged, bought a home, opening new chapters in his life. I just, the way you said that, I want to make sure that people Fair don't enough. come away with uh, some concern for you. That's you're, you're understandably busy and you're busy for all the right reasons. Is there anything else at this point that I haven't thought to ask you that you'd like people to know? I guess the one thing I would say is I, I wish that people would uh, explore a bit more in their local scene. Go go further than that nearest brewery. There's another one five minutes down the road, or or even maybe one even closer that you don't even realize has opened. Um, and also, go back and give places a try again. Give them a year or two to get their things in order. Sometimes there's been a brewer change. Sometimes there was a process problem that has been fixed. Uh, Jailbreak, for example, is a classic one that I go to. Uh, they got a lot of hate on social media um but they in the last year have changed their head brewer their entire lineup has changed they've made tweaks to all their recipes and it's it's a much different brewery than it once was so just because you had a poor experience at a brewery once does not mean that a year or two or five later it is not an entirely different place that's an excellent point it's uh not too dissimilar from internet time craft brewery time is uh very much accelerated from a lot of people's common experience. You know, a few years is, for many breweries, is a lifetime. So that's a that's an excellent point. What exciting things are you looking forward to coming up in the near future? Events that you're interested in since we touched on events or uh, can releases, new breweries that might be opening that, that you're interested in? So we actually have a few new breweries uh, opening up in the next few weeks. I don't know if this will be live by then, but uh, um, Brewery Fire is opening in about two weeks in Tawnytown, and uh, the official uh, opening party for Pharmacy Brewing in Reisterstown is next weekend, although they are already open. So it's just great to see some new blood. It's nice to see Northern Maryland starting to open up a little bit in the rural areas, something between Baltimore and Frederick. Yeah, the, there's also the, the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival, classic festival coming up in November. Um, last year, there were over 50 breweries, and they already have signed on a few uh, breweries that haven't opened their doors yet. Those are always fun to go and see. Um, I have no idea what they're bringing, and that's half the fun. Yeah, those are I guess those are the things that I'm looking forward to. That's a good point. My first experience with Idiom and Frederick was at the Maryland Craft Beer Festival last year. And you're not wrong, like getting to talk to them when they're super excited to be serving before they're fully up and running, uh, get that story and have something to look forward to, to know you can go from that fest to within a matter of weeks or months to the actual place that they're talking about, meet them there is fantastic. And having talked to a few of those kinds of brewers, I, I've found that it is very important. It's a critical phase to be talking to them because they are in, in the throes of trying to get licensing sorted, trying to get properties tied down. They're in the build out or whatever it may be. And this is the point in time where they are most depressed, honestly, because it, it, they don't have any of the fun part uh, going on of, of actually serving the beer to you and, and hearing your responses to it. So I, w- I would actively, I would tell people actively seek out those kinds of breweries and give them honest feedback too, uh, positive or negative, because they, they need to, to work those things out. Where can people go to learn more about you 
and your pursuits and interests in beer? So my website, mdcraftbeer.net, or any of my social media accounts. I have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all are mdcraftbeer, because somehow nobody had taken that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kendrick. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Thomas. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to feedback at peculiarcharacter.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please help spread the word. Tell a friend about it. Please consider supporting the show financially by visiting patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash peculiarcharacter and become a backer. Patrons enjoy special behind-the-scenes access and bonus content. The support of my patrons is greatly appreciated. Until next time, chase what calls you. I would like to thank the Internet Archive for media hosting and bandwidth. The views expressed on this program are my own and where applicable those of my guests and in no way reflect those of my employer or anyone else. This show is produced from 100% recycled bits. Except where noted, permission to recycle those further is granted under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. That means you're free to change this show as much as you like as long as you don't alter credits and you share your changes under the same license. Theme music is Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.